Welcome back to another episode of the Casey Campbell podcast. Casey Campbell with you, of course, and we are always pleased to be joined by my special guest, the legendary Brock Beard, um, of course, from Last Card, from Last Car Films, of course, getting ready for his episode six of Rise of the Field Fillers. But before we get to that, Brock, of course, thank you for coming on once again. Well, thank you for having me. Um, okay, so you and NASCAR Man were working on this uh, IndyCar split documentary. I know uh, NASCAR Man has been tremendously uh, working on this project about a very, very important, but uh, and also a very tough time, a dark time for IndyCar and open wheel racing overall. What was it? I, I know we talk, kind of talked about it the last time you were on, but what was it like being part of the project now that it, all four episodes are out there? It was a really a tremendous experience uh, for me personally. Uh, I don't really have a tremendous amount of backing uh, or background in IndyCar racing. Uh, besides, like maybe like the last decade or so, uh, I think you know really more of my interest in the sport is has really built since the reunification. Uh, but you know, I've certainly been familiar with hearing about the uh, the split before and how damaging it was to the sport. Uh, how certain competitors were never able to run in the Indy 500. Um, and a tremendously controversial thing that I'm sure NASCAR has watched uh, very closely as well uh, to make sure their sport doesn't uh, split up in a similar manner. Um, you know, it, it, it was really interesting to find out, especially in the early days of the split, like the, the very bizarre personalities that filled the IRL and uh, kind of some overlap, uh, even with the rise of the field fillers to a degree. Uh, but uh, overall, again, uh, you know, tr uh, tremendous shout out to uh, NASCAR Man History there for the tremendous uh, script that he was able to put together, uh, really breaking down at times a very complicated issue. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of politics involved, a lot of controversy, a lot of uh, you know, uh, pretty pretty angry words uh, from both sides, not just uh, the fans, but the, even the officials and the drivers. Very contentious period in the history, but. Um, I liked the way that NASCAR man approached it, where he broke it down to multiple parts, really tried to delve into each aspect of it. And, uh, you know, there, I saw there were people in the comments wondering if they would stretch it even further into something else. But I, I like the way that he set it up there, where, uh, especially in this last episode, you could see the swing from the peak of uh, the car IRL split uh, to the present day. I think it fits much better in the way that he set it up. So yeah. just happy to be a part of it. Yeah, there were so much, you know, that that was were on there. And it kind of some of it kind of relates into NASCAR because, you know, for a couple of times in NASCAR's history, I know, you know, there was a series war of cart and that NASCAR kind of had something similar to that in the mid the mid 90s with the tire wars mm. a little bit. Um, I don't know how much you remember that or look, read into that or learned about that, but what was what was that like? you know with the hoosier tires coming in there i know i know slap shoes has kind of documented this as well mm -hmm. but what was that like you know to have a tire war sim like like that with you know with goodyear and hoosier well that's a good question and you know and also that i'd be remiss without mentioning that also i think that was the first video uh, i narrated for nascar man i know you mentioned slap shoes video uh, nascar man made his own script on that right. uh, to kind of really expand on especially speed weeks 94 and its aspect of it uh, it was a scary time, um, you know, uh, really thinking about uh, the big thing for me, and I think I mentioned it um, in uh, at the end of the uh, NASCAR man video, uh, growing up, like, uh, you know, starting to follow NASCAR in 91, 92, thereabouts, uh, my awareness of Neil Bonnet, for example, 
uh, was similar to baby fans today about Daryl Waltrip, a uh, driver that used to be a multiple time winner and, and one of the big names out there, uh, but then becoming more of a broadcaster, having to show winners. Um, my only frame of reference of knowing about it was like, oh, you know, he, he does this great show. I love the interviews that he did. And, uh, you know, him as a driver is something that was just kind of like, it seemed so distant in the past. It wasn't really, you know, during my time, even though it really wasn't, it was just a matter of a couple of years before he had the wreck at Darlington. Uh, but then to hear about him coming back out and trying to make a few races in 94, the Brickyard 400 was coming up that year. So that was a big story. And you had a lot of teams coming in there. And then you throw this tire issue on, on top of it there. Um, I think there was a lot of anticipation coming into that 94 season. And tragically, the, the deaths of Neil Bonnet and Rodney Orr uh, were, you know, absolutely catastrophic there. I mean, it cast a huge pall over the, the 500 there. I think it really kind of uh, set the whole season really on the wrong foot. Uh, and then, of course, Ernie Irvin's accident uh, later that year. Um, you know, and, and the strangest thing about it is I, I'd always grown up believing that it was really the tires that were kind of central to Rodney Orr and Neil Bonnet's accidents. It seems like there have been later investigations pointing to a common suspension part issue on both cars that led to it. It's unfortunate both of them happened to have Hoosier tires. So that kind of really made that tire controversy even greater. But uh, as you've seen in both videos that have been featured on there, uh, the even bigger controversy with Hoosier was just the fact that, you know, they were just coming apart, that Goodyear was starting to make faster tires. They were also unreliable. And much like in the late 80s in the first round of the tire war, you had a real tense time. Um, there's some parts of 94 that I look back on very fondly. Again, you know, the, the, big, the big teams coming in, a lot of number of teams. Harry Gant's retirement season, the first Brickyard 400. But there was always this, this very clear haze over it, and not just the, the tragedies of Daytona and then the ongoing controversies with the tire war. It was a, it was a bizarre time. It's really hard to, to think about it in, in retrospect or to, or to kind of put today in that same time period and, and to make it understandable. But um, I think that's why it's great that there's been now a couple of videos talking about it because it's an important time that needs to be remembered. Yeah. Um, you know, I know you kind of did kind of going back to, you know, the questions kind of seem like Neil Bonnet, of course, he drove for James Finch during that time you got to, yes. you got to talk to James Finch for one of the earlier episodes of Phoenix racing. What was that like, you know, to profile that kind of team because I know that, you know, during that time I know James was trying to get into NASCAR of course coming from construction and all that. What was that like to, you know, got to get a chance to talk to him and be you know, have him featured in one of the earlier episodes that you did? It was very interesting because I, you know, he, he seemed to indicate that um, Neil Bonnet was just a really good friend of his. Uh, I don't know how far back exactly they went. It sounded like it may have even gone further back to uh, back in the times on the short tracks and when he met Jeff Purvis and everything too. Uh, Finch, I mean, there's, there's, I think, you know, of all the episodes that I've done on the rise of the field fillers, I feel like that one's maybe one where I didn't really fully do it justice. Cause I mean, well, I guess Morgan Shepherds is kind of like that too. Just a personality where there's so many stories and so many points of contact he's had in his career. Um, you know, it would probably take a 10 hour video just to, you know, really kind of at least touch on every aspect of it. Uh, but the Neil Bonnet thing was, was, was certainly, you know, certainly a part of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, and, and uh, the fact that, you know, he was good friends, you know, with Neil Bonnet, I think what that really kind of 
focuses on is, is even more on Bonnet himself, because I just finished listening to uh, the Scene Vault podcast uh, interview with Butch Mock, and he mentioned, uh, Mock mentioned Neil Bonnet in the same way, that they were just good friends, they went really far back, and I think that, you know, just really speaks to just how friendly, you know, Neil Bonnet was, and, and how he, how loyal he was to a lot of these team owners for uh, multiple years. Uh, but, uh, you know, James, yeah, very interesting personality. I mean, countless stories, uh, to certainly talk about, uh, with his team and, and, uh, um, you know, other, other drivers that featured the field fillers like Joe Rutman and stuff coming in there. I had a few comments, you know, uh, on that video where people were wondering why this team is getting mentioned in the same breath as a lot of these other field filler teams. Cause it doesn't seem to really fit the bill since they won with Brad Keselowski, uh, since they were very good at the super speedways and stayed in the sport as long as they did. But again, it's the fact that they dabbled in having to do the start and park thing and try to stretch limited rate race refund uh, funding uh, into a full season fund. Um, you know, Jermaine racing did that years later. You mentioned 2009, that would be kind of an example of that. Um, you know, it fits right in and they were, they were lumped into the same controversies over the field fillers that uh, you know, these other teams we've talked about, uh, we're in that respect. So I, I think really a you know, long answer short to your question. I think it's just, it's just, there's a lot of layers to it and it's really hard to kind of get your hands around any one of these stories, but it's very clear that, um, you know, Neil Bonnet and James Finch, much like with Butch Mock go very far back. You mentioned, I know James Finch, what do in doing like, you know, overall what, what he has meant to, you know, with his team and all that, what was it like just, you know, talking to him and, you know, learning about that? Was that the first time you ever got a chance to talk with James? Yep. First time. First time. I never met, I, I never had the, the good fortune to meet with him at a racetrack. Uh, he never even, the closest I would have been able to come to speaking with him is uh, his team ever running at uh, my local track here at uh, Sonoma. And he didn't enter a car there until I think 2009 or 2010. Um, so, you know, it's, it was, uh, it was definitely a new experience there, but uh, it was just a matter of calling him up and, you know, I, I got the, uh, the, the, their administrator up front at uh, Phoenix construction and she got me right in with him and we just, we just went ahead and talked on my way, on my way to work that morning. So, uh, very friendly guy, always eager, you know, a great, um, student of the sport too. He's, he's kept all these stories very, uh, close to his heart and very eager to share them and, um, uh, made for a great interview and I, I hope that came across in the episode yeah of course um of course the uh you know i know episode six i know you've been talking about that i know you're in the works with that one uh it, this is going to be a really interesting one because i know that you you know the morgan shepherd one that you did uh, obviously was obviously was, has been one of the best so far i mean you know oh, thank you chance to talk to morgan and stuff but this one i think is going to be really interesting because you're going to profile a team you know, and that a lot of people might not remember the, uh, the Hoover team. So it's, uh, definitely going to be, uh, definitely going to be there. What was it like, you know, of course, running the 80 car, what was that like to uh, profile that team? This was really interesting. And I, and I've deliberately, I know it's been kind of a long wait. I think the last, the shepherd episode came out right before the season started. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of that has just been, you know, getting back into the rhythm of my regular weekly coverage, but I really wanted to kind of take my time on this one because uh, it, it, it is, it, it's, it is an unusual story uh, because like you said, it's a team that doesn't really get talked about that much. Uh, we talked about before the show about, you know, how even the proper pronunciation of the team owner's name uh, was something that I wasn't aware of until I interviewed the guy. Uh, 
you know, that I always thought it was Stan Hover, just like everybody else did. And even Mike Joy said in old starting grids back in the 90s. Uh, but he corrected me and said, no, it's Stan Hoover, even though it's just the 1-0. Uh, and I think that really goes to show just how obscure this team is, um, and which is something saying something, given that we've talked about Don Arnold's team, we've talked about James Finch, and we've talked about Morgan Shepard's team, uh, Kirk Shelmerdine's team, I mean, other programs that, um, you know, were, were like that. But um, you know, it's, it, it was, it's been challenging. I think it's, it's in a way, in some ways it's been a little bit more dense than I think last episodes. So it's a matter of kind of spreading that out a little bit. Uh, but I think it's going to be interesting. And I think it's going to, to make connections with other events in the sports recent history that maybe make a little bit more sense, uh, when you're aware more about this team, because it turns out, uh, this team is a, quite the pedigree that I think uh, I, I didn't really even fully realize. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure the viewers are going to be very interested to find out. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, we look at with what, you know, in, in doing this project, I know we kind of talked about this, mm-hmm. you know, before when we had you on a few weeks ago. What was it like, you know, to to tell the stories of these guys, of you know, the field fillers and all that? You know, it's, it's been, it's been a real, a real enjoyable experience. I mean, this was, I think I mentioned it on your last show here that this was originally going to be my next book after the JD McDuffie book. Um, and, you know, the more I was laying out the facts, the more I was doing the research, it, it I couldn't really approach it in the same chronological way that I did with the JD book or in, in, a, in as clear of a way or, and it also felt more and more like I was writing a book just for my own entertainment rather than something that would have a wide audience. I have no doubt that you would, that you would enjoy it from our conversations okay. here, uh, but I'm not sure if it would have been something a publisher would have been all that excited about. But then I really thought, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it, a lot of this is video content. A lot of it's from not all that long ago in NASCAR history, at least it feels that way to me. Um, but, you know, uh, a lot of content that is, I think, shows better in video format than a book anyway. So I think this is a better way to approach it. But um, the way, the, the overall theme of it, though, is like, this is what I feel I would have done if I started the last car website in 2004 instead of 2009. Uh, this is what I would have been talking about back then is tracking uh, these teams like Kirk Shelmerdine's team and like these others. I remember, uh, you know, going to message boards. I mean, kids, you know, people probably don't even go to message boards anymore or anything, but, uh, you know, there were, you know, all kinds of different, you know, general interest message boards and always sharing all these pictures of these field filler cars out there. It's like, isn't this interesting? This guy's in the cup series and doesn't even have a sponsor. And everybody's just, yeah, you know, I wasn't really, in, you know, I was trying to get other people interested in it because I was really interested in it. Um, so it's kind of, it, it, it's kind of my effort to kind of go back in time and really catch, really catch this and also try to bring the YouTube channel more in line with, uh, the last car website to give these teams more attention. Cause that's really the ultimate goal of both of these is to really, um, you know, shed some new light on them. I mean, I've, I love seeing people share pictures of like making, uh, sim racing paint schemes of these cars and stuff like that. That's great. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I, I love to see, and hopefully we'll have some more content for that too. So I know that you know when NASCAR fans, when I was watching NASCAR in 2004, because the thing is, what I notice is that when you recognize like a car and a you know and a sponsor, you immediately know who's in that car. Um, yep. There's a couple iconic things that you know I took away from that you know that season. One of them was like 
you know, there two cars kind of really stood out to me was the Dale Jarrett UPS when Dale Jarrett had the UPS sponsorship from like 2001 to like 2008. And then there was the, there was the Ricky Craven tie machine though. I mean, having, having that going back to Jared for a second with the, when he partnered with UPS, what was that time like? Because it also created a lot of like recognizable brands and stuff, but it also, you know, put some pretty good commercials and entertainment on there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, UPS. I mean, I would say, I mean, especially since, as you mentioned that they, they coincided it with uh, uh, Fox and NBC's new TV contract in 2001, where they came on board, uh, they jumped into the sport with both feet and they did that race truck promotion. Like you're mentioning in the commercials, um, you know, real, real entertaining stuff. Uh, I think is his, his paint scheme, by the time we got to 2004, they kind of made the paint scheme a little bit more head turning. It's, it's it, back in the first couple seasons, I thought it looked pretty drab, uh, considering that his quality care paint scheme was always the one that I identified him with from yep. 1996 through 2000. And it was kind of a shame to see that go away because to me, that was like one of the iconic paint jobs. Uh, I wasn't a huge Dale Jarrett fan growing up. I, I you know, along with Jerry Nadu, who I did the feature on on the channel, uh, I rooted more for his teammate, Ricky Rudd, um, and uh, would love to see the 28 car, you know, return to prominence as it had with Davey Allison and Ernie Irvin. Uh, but with, uh, with Jarrett, though, he was always tough. And um, that was really the peak of his career between like 2001, 2002, thereabouts, those first couple of years in the UPS car. And, uh, you know, good memories of it, though. You know, yeah. I mean, he was he still won at Darlington in Texas and some of the really difficult tracks, just like he had uh, the decade previous. And, uh, you know, he was he was a tough guy out there. And and um, and you mentioned the tide ride, too, with uh, with Ricky Craven. I mean, we saw Eric Jones run the tide car at Bristol this week, brought all yeah. kinds of memories back to that time period when you. Yeah, you see that orange and white car out there and you knew it an instant. Uh, that, you know, that that was, you know, whoever that driver was, whether it was Ricky Craven or Daryl Waltrip or Ricky Rudd or Scott Pruitt or Bobby Hamilton Jr. or um, whoever was in there, you knew it was that, you know, team or driver or whatever combination of it. You know, also in 2004, there was, there was also, it was also Terry Labonte's last full-time mm -hmm. season in the Cup Series. Yeah. Because, you know, because the thing is, you know, his career is, you know, so interesting because, you know, in getting and winning the championship and just, you know, just being so consistent, getting it done at some of the big tracks and big places and stuff. What was it like? And when then when the Kellogg's car came about, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of started to struggle those last few years. And then you never know when he could come up and and do it. And I think 2003 was that that with the Southern 500 and stuff. What was it like, mm -hmm. you know, watching Terry in those last last few years and you know kind of culminating with this 2004 thing it's kind of like one of the biggest like things that that's overshadowed it was his last season I know he didn't have the best season but you know I, with everything that happened with you know with 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 the first year of the chase and then obviously you know with the with the Hendrick plane crash um it, it was one of the things that was kind of a little to me it was a little bit like went under the radar a little bit it did. I mean, Terry Labonte, you know, has always been the very soft-spoken, you know, kind of driver that, you know, didn't draw a lot of attention, you know, to himself and, and, but, you know, was an absolutely outstanding driver. I mean, I mentioned Ricky Rudd earlier. I kind of put him in the same category uh, when Ricky Rudd's career, you know, when he was drawing his career to the end for the first time in 2005, 
uh, his crew chief uh, had an outburst at the Homestead drivers meeting saying, look, I mean, this guy's running his last race. Is anybody going to like say anything about it? Uh, but Rick Rudd was so quiet that, you know, he didn't, you know, really draw a lot of attention to it. And he did end up coming back in 2007. Uh, Terry Labonte was a lot the same way. Only, only Labonte ended up staying in part-time for so long that his brother ended up taking over uh, his ride uh, at Go Fast Racing those years later. Um, you know, Terry Labonte was, you know, I, I, I think I touched on this a little bit in my video on retirement seasons. I think that early 2000s time period, I guess between 2000, probably between like 2004, really, yeah, at that starting point, 2000, maybe 2003 to 2004 into 2007 to 2008, there was a tremendous overhaul in the field. And you saw a lot of big names that I grew up with uh, retire and were just suddenly just not there anymore. And you would put Terry Labonte and Ricky Rudd and Rusty Wallace and Dale Jarrett and uh, those competitors in there, and you had all these other newcomers come in there, your Dale Juniors, your Matt Kenseths, your Tony Stewart, uh, and so forth. And it was, and, and pretty soon when you got to like 2006, 2007, the sport was completely different than it had been not even a decade earlier. Um, and that was a huge, I think that was, and, 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 you know, it was, it was, it was sad in a lot of ways, really. I mean, cause I think in a lot of, I mean, some cases you had drivers that did retirement tours like Richard Petty did. Uh, Mark Martin, and then uh, in his first attempt to retire in 2005, and Rusty Wallace in his last call tour come to mind with that. And then others like Terry Labonte that kind of did a retirement tour and then, you know, kept coming back. I think, you know, it, it, it was it was sad. To, it was nice in some cases that they didn't immediately disappear. Um, I, I draw comparisons to 1988, where you had a whole lot of drivers retire. This kind of brings back to our, our discussion on the um, tire wars back then, um, you know, blown tires, you know, pretty much, I mean, ended Buddy Baker's career that year. He did a few starts after 88, but not, not nothing more full-time after that. Uh, Bobby Allison's accident at Pocono, Richard Petty very nearly ended his career after the big wreck at Daytona. Cale Yarbrough retired at the end of the year. Dale Jarrett actually, uh, taking over his ride back then. Um, you know, it was very, it was, it was similar to that in some ways, but in other ways we had, you know, kind of a, kind of a difference there too. So, um, you know, and, and it, it was challenging because a lot, I think unlike that time in 88, where a lot of these talents took a little while to kind of get their feet under them, uh, by the time we got to 2004 to two, you know, 2003 to 2008, these kids were winning like right out the box. Uh, Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon changed the paradigm so much that, it was surprising when these guys wouldn't win and you had guys like, I mean, I mean, to think that Ryan Newman beat Jimmy Johnson for rookie of the year, uh, just on consistency alone, even though he didn't win as many races, uh, just shows how, how top the talent was. And that was 2002. Um, so it, it was, it was a weird time. It was, it was a very weird time. And, and, you know, I think there was some good out of that. And, and unfortunately when, you know, the nostalgia hits, um, some of it wasn't as fun, but, it's, it's just a part of the sport, just like any other sport. One more thing I want to ask you is, you know, with, um, you know, with kind of like going back to retirement seasons, I know the most kind of like the first one to really, I, I know there were more, but the one that I remember, and I wasn't even around for this one, but Richard Petty in 1992, mm. you know, the, you know, when the fan appreciation tour, um, you know, I think the, uh, it was, I think the, the day 1992 Hooters 500, I think kind of documented this a little bit. But I, I don't know how much you, you know, documented and looked at this season, but why do you think Richard Petty ran so long? 
And why do you think drivers are maybe retiring to like maybe too soon or something? That's a good question. That's a good question. I think that does kind of tag on to what we were talking about, about um, the way that one group of retirements in one decade felt very different from the recent ones here. Um, you know, certainly there's differences to look at in terms of, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, health concerns, concussions, of course, being top of the list. I mean, you look at Dale Jr., you look at um, there's there's theories going around about why Jimmy Johnson retired when he did and why his performance dropped off. Uh, but that may have had something to do with it, too. Um, you know, it's it, it is just it is just a very different sport now and, and, and different to play out. Uh, but. Yeah, but we with, with with Richard Petty, I think he just he just enjoyed doing it. I think that at the end of the day, even though he was far more successful than really any other driver out there, regardless of their backing, the thing that I think that's easy to forget with Richard Petty is at the end of the day, he was another owner driver. He was, you know, one of the, you know, it, it was a family-run organization. Uh, of course, it started with his father Lee. And, uh, you know, that they had grown the program, you know, well beyond that by 1992. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of, you know, J.D. McDuffie in them or Dave Marcus or James Hilton or any of these other guys that also had very, very long careers. And, you know, and, and Richard, I think, you know, and, and, and he would probably downplay that himself because, you know, he's always been, you know, again, kind of like Terry Labonte, very mild-mannered, very... Uh, quiet, you know, very humble, very, very much, you know, as, 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 you know, any, I think true champion should be. I mean, there's, there's a bit of that even in Jimmy Johnson as well. Um, but, you know, I think that at the end of the day, he just, he had no reason to quit. I mean, even after the, the wreck in 1988 at Daytona, um, the fact that he just kind of just kept going, you know, during that entire time period. And, and I think the way the fan appreciation tour came about, and this is kind of touched on the speed thing. Um, you know, he viewed this as a way to give thanks to the other, to the fans out there. It felt like, okay, this, you know, I, you know, I've had all, all this success, you know, I've, I've been able to receive so much. I want to give back. And then, you know, the, the touching thing about that was that at every stop, the fans wanted to thank him for being out there for so long. And that was really a big thing. But, you know, I, I had the opportunity to speak to Richard about, uh, about his retirement. And, you know, I, because when I was doing the research for the J.D. McDuffie book, I noticed that the accident that J.D. McDuffie was in, it was in August of 91. In October of 1991 was when Richard announced the fan appreciation tour to begin with. My, I don't know if he would ever admit it, but my question to him was, did this have to do with that? Was your decision to ultimately retire because of J.D. McDuffie's accident? And he said, no, he said, no. He said the decision had already been made before that. Now, I should have asked the $10 million question at that point would have been, well, when was that decision made? But I didn't think to ask that at the time. It occurred to me afterwards. I'm not even sure he would say, but I know from at least, I'm glad I at least asked him that question. So I know that it was sometime before August of 91 that he decided he was going to retire. And what brought that about? I, I don't know. Maybe that'd be something to ask Kyle about or something, but it would be, that would be kind of the interesting question to figure out. But I think that would probably go kind of a ways to understanding um, why he stayed in it as long as he did. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all it, NASCAR is a, as all these things and, and it just ties everything together into it does. what it is today. 
But uh, anyway, Brockbeard, thank you so much for uh, for coming on and talking with us. There's always there's always stuff to talk about with you with NAS with the history of NASCAR. And I always, you know me, I always love learning about it. And don't forget to catch episode six of the of his Rise to the Field Filler series, which will be out soon. All right, thank you very much for having me.